Welcome to Short Course, episode 23, for June 6th, 2018. I'm your host, Ben Barry. Let me start off this episode with an apology if you can hear any background noise. Uh, I am actually recording this the night of the 4th of July, so there are definitely neighbors shooting off fireworks. Nothing you can do about that. And I'm recording a little bit early. Oftentimes I record Thursday night, upload on Friday. Uh, this time I'm, I'm recording Wednesday night uh, just because this week is turning out to be very busy and it just works out better to, uh, to record tonight. It, today worked out really well. Having the day off, I was able to go to the range and check all my ammo, chrono, check zero, and get everything squared away for Ipsic Nationals, which is going to be a week and a half from now. I won't be able to get to the range this weekend. Well, I, I will be at the range this weekend, but I won't be able to practice this weekend because I'm doing back-to-back classes. Something we're trying new, It's a, we're going to do back-to-back core skills on Saturday, advanced skills on Sunday at the same range, two separate classes. It's going to be pretty interesting. And we're also doing it at, this is the first time we're doing a class away from the, the range where I've run them all before, trying to get to different part of the state. Hopefully it's a little easier commute for for guys, you know, instead of having to drive all the way past Raleigh up to Lewisburg, we're more towards Charlotte now. So that'll be interesting, but I'll be on the range all day, Saturday and Sunday. And so just getting ready for that. And then Ipsic Nationals is the weekend after. And so just trying to get everything squared away. That was actually part of the reason I wanted to go to the range today. Like I said, check zero, chrono. And I was doing that with samples from the big batch of ammo that I made up to ship to Ipsic Nationals just because I wanted to check the ammo before I put it in a box and pay UPS to to take it down to Florida. Of course, I'm shipping the ammo just because the round count for this one, the posted minimum round count is going to be 290 rounds. And if you're really trying to stay under the 11 pound limit that most airlines have in nine millimeter, that's going to be somewhere between three and 400 rounds. And if you listen to episode seven about flying to nationals, you know that I'm pretty conservative about uh, trying to fly with ammo these days. Uh, I tried to do it for, for nationals. Actually, I did do it for the, the nationals last year, and I don't feel like it really served me very well. So even though it's only just barely more than, than I'm really comfortable carrying with me, I, I figure it's easier just ship it. It looks like it'll cost about 25 bucks to, to have it shipped down to the range, which is a small price to pay after airfare, rental car, hotel, gas, the whole deal. So that'll be getting packaged up and go out this week now that the ammo is good to go, squared away. Gun is re-zeroed at 20 yards. A little bit of an interesting conversation about that on Instagram because I was I was posting on there about, about zeroing the gun. And some people ask, you know, why do you zero at 20 yards? And the answer is actually really incredibly boring, which is just that there's only one bay at my club that is more than 20 yards and I can't always get access to it. And so... I prefer to just zero at the distance where I can always consistently check zero because there are other bays that give me 20 yards to shoot in. And, uh, you know, the, the difference between 20 and 25 yards, if you look at it on one of these ballistic apps, it doesn't look that significant. Honestly, I've never really checked the zero past about 20, 25 yards. I assume it starts to drop a little bit, but um, I, I just I really haven't zeroed at that precisely at 30 or 40 yards, uh, mostly because realistically in a match you're going to have open targets and so a two or three inch bullet drop you're you i i just it hasn't been that big of a deal to me uh but definitely something i want to put on the to-do list now that now that i've gotten the the conversation uh going on instagram it you know it's something i should know so 
Next time I, I get to practice on the, the big bay, I'll be, I'll definitely check zero that far out. I doubt, well, I hope there, there won't be anything like that at, at Epic Nationals. And if there is, I have an idea of where the, the hits will go. So I'm not too worried about that. Good news is the one gun that I had done the blue Loctite in the dovetail on the front sight seems to be holding. So it hasn't worked loose yet. I think I've got about a thousand rounds, maybe a little more through it since I did that. So it seems to be, seems to be working Went ahead and did that to the second gun and re-zeroed it today. So hopefully I finally have front sights that don't move around. So today I wanted to talk about dry fire. And a lot of this is just coming up from various questions that I've been fielding as I've been, again, coming from Instagram, posting a lot of videos this past week about my practice and and what my dry fire setup is like and, and just fielding questions. And it, I realized I never talked about it. So I'll just kind of go over my, my setup. And I definitely do a couple things that are a little unusual. And so maybe this will be helpful, especially if you're in a situation like mine where you're, you're space constrained, which I mean, I feel like realistically, nobody has as much space as they really would like to dry fire. But in my particular scenario, I'm, I'm actually probably on the lucky side. I have a spare bedroom a 10 by 15 spare bedroom that is basically dedicated to dry fire. Uh, there are some bookshelves around the edges. There's a chair that you can sit in and, you know, read or whatever. But for the most part, the the open space, the, the space in the middle is open. And so I can set up targets. I can set up a shooting box, that kind of thing. And, and I have the space to move around. Now, 10 by 15, you know, it's not huge. I mean, when you think about what a, a spare bedroom is like, I mean, that's that's all that it is, but I've made it work. One of the main concessions that I've had to make is just the fact that the walls, they, so there's, you know, a sliding glass closet door and there's a, you know, a couple exit doors and the bookshelves are on the, the edge of the room and then a, a big window. And so there actually isn't that much room on the walls to hang targets. Now I use the scaled cardboard laser cut dry fire targets from Ben Stegger Pro Shop. I've, golly, I've been using them for years, at least three, four years now. And they're great. Um, I don't know that I've, I've only ever had to throw out a couple of them just as, you know, the, the painter's tape that I used to stick them to the wall just wears out and tears up the surface. But, you know, I mean, they're cardboard. They, they hold up pretty decently as long as you're not too terribly rough on them. The painter's tape doesn't really, st- so there isn't that much room to stick them to in this room. And the paint in this room has a kind of glossy finish to it. And, you know, it's not just like flat white. And for whatever reason, the painter's tape just really doesn't stick that well to glossy paint, especially with some of the third scale targets. I can get away with the sixth scale ones and the mini poppers and stuff just because they're light, but it takes a lot of painter's tape to get a a one third scale metric to, you know, stick to the wall. So what I've actually developed to work around that is the fact that I will usually attach the targets to a piece of black foam core board and then put that foam core board either resting up against something on the wall or I've built target stands out of PVC and I'll clip a, you know, so the target stands clipped to an actual USPSA target and then I'll clip the foam core board to the cardboard of that that target and so it, it holds it up. And then I can take the foam core board off, and what's left on the stand is that USPSA target, which I can either use as a vision barrier, or I've got some of them that have a like a hole cut in it, you know, cut out the A zone, and I use that as a port. 
really the, the, the main utility of all this is I can, I can move everything around pretty easily. So, you know, I don't have a lot of stuff stuck permanent, not permanently, but I don't, you know, stick a lot of stuff directly to the walls. Almost everything is going on a foam core board or, you know, a, another piece of cardboard that, that I'm, that's on a stand that I'm moving around. And I like that. It, it makes it so you're not sort of statically shooting the, the same arrays all the time. Um, I definitely, you know, almost, I can't think, I, I don't really leave arrays up for very long. I like to take everything down, reorganize them, you know, put up different target presentations all the time, just because I really don't want to get too used to shooting on one array at a time, you know, to get really used to a, a particular pattern where, okay, you got the no shoot, the mini popper, the hardcover, and then the full size popper. And you do that for six months and you're just, you almost aren't even practicing anything except muscle memory of that particular target setup. I don't know if people actually do that. You know, I see these pictures that people post of, of very elaborate dry fire setups where everything's symmetrical and feng shui and, you know, it, it looks very ornate. But I wonder, you know, do they, how do they pick which targets to use in a drill? Whereas for me, I find when I have too many targets up at once, I just, I want to like dry fire on all of them. So even if the drill in my head doesn't involve them, I'll start like transitioning over to extra targets even after the, the second beep on the drill. And so for me, I like to just take everything down and and only have the targets that I'm actually using in the current drill available, which with this system of, of adhering everything to boards and then moving the boards around is actually super easy. And in fact, most of the time I'll have two different target arrays set up on different sides of a foam core board. And so the one array that, that does stay up pretty much all the time is usually one side of one of the foam core board pieces is a, just like a standard Elprez array. So three targets, roughly a yard apart scaled, just wide open targets. And so, you know, that's just a good warm up if you want to do some kind of classifier drills or, you know, you just need something with a couple targets just to play around with that, that stays up most of the time, but almost everything else gets pulled down pretty frequently. I have a big box that I organize all, all the targets in. And, and so I'll just pull things out and put them up and dry fire on that for a couple of days and rearrange them between drills and then pull everything back down and, and set up a new drill based on whatever it is that I'm trying to practice. And so sometimes, you know, if you're working on stronghand, you might want to make the target difficulty a little bit easier than it would be that if you were just pushing distance, because trying to shoot that same distance in practice when you've added the extra difficulty of stronghand, it's, I mean, it's, you're just making life harder on yourself than you have to. I do have, I have a lot, I have a lot of these dry fire targets. Uh, and one of the things that I have done is I've gone ahead and in the same way that I'll make up dry fire or sorry, hardcover targets for live fire, which is just black painter's tape and black spray paint. So you spray paint everything and then you put the painter's tape on there just to give yourself a, a clean edge. Most people probably wouldn't do that for practice, but I, I like having the, the clean line. So it's very match like, you know, it's similar to what you would see in, in competition and the, the tape doesn't add that much time in my mind. And so I went ahead and did that with the black spray paint and the, the painters, black painters tape with some of my third scale targets as well. And so I've got a bunch of those that are just all kinds of, I mean, pretty much every possible arrangement of hardcover I've got in, in scale form as well. And so I just mix those in because with the cardboard third scale dry fire targets, it is very easy to just throw up a no shoot and make a target into a partial, which I definitely recommend. I would say aside from that El Prez array, 
the vast majority of my practice is on either partials or one sixth scale wide open targets just to give the the distance to make things challenging. But there's there, there really is a difference in the way you should address hardcover and no shoots. Hardcover is much more about shot calling. Hardcover is you don't necessarily have to slow down. You just have to know if you messed up. You have to call the bad shot and make it up. If you over transition into the black or you, you know, pull the trigger wrong and you yank the shot, then you need to make it up. But it, you don't necessarily need to slow down as much when you're shooting hardcover. You just need to pay more attention to your shot calling and shoot the makeup if you, if you messed up the, the shot. Whereas with no shoot, obviously, if you sink one into the no shoot, you can't take that back. And so you have to be much more conservative shooting those. And so I think practicing that really drilling it into your mind and, and addressing those two types of partials differently, I, I think is a good idea just because that lets you maintain more speed and that'll show up in a match as well. And I think it encourages you to learn your shot calling better. Generally speaking, you're going to take a no shoot partial in more of a bullseye, confirm the sight picture before you pull the trigger mode, where with, with hardcover, it's more of a shot calling exercise where you pull the trigger and then you judge where the shot went. And so that's a, that's a good way to practice shot calling. Logistically, uh, the one thing that, that I do do, a lot of guys don't, you know, they, they'll do reloads without a mag in the gun. And I'll do that every, every once in a while, but I find making sure to hold the gun straight up and down so that the mag drops straight down is actually an important part of, of my practice and my technique. And so I want to make sure I'm doing that and not getting lazy and also just pressing the button hard enough so that the mag drops out. I do use a box. I use a little Rubbermaid tote, maybe 12, 14 inches deep. And I've just got blankets in the bottom and I just stack it up on top of, I actually, so I, I use a squatty potty, which is just like, well, Google it if you don't know what it is, but we had like, we were given one and we didn't really use it, but it actually is just the right height to raise the box up just enough so that first of all, having the, the box to catch the mags up a little bit makes it so you're more likely when you drop the mag, even if you sling it a little bit, since it's closer to the gun, the mag is more likely to still make it into the box and it's raised up high enough that I don't have to bend down like to the floor to pick up the mag. So it just speeds things up a little bit. And honestly, I, I really, I don't mind it. I, I am not a fan of like dropping mags on a bed. I've tried doing that, especially like in hotels. And for me, beds are way too springy. They'll fling your mag off somewhere. So I, I would, I would say just get, you know, one of these kind of low Rubbermaid kind of bin containers and get two of them and then put the blanket in one and then take the other one, turn it upside down, use that as your base, take the second one, put it on top, use it that way. And then we need to store it, flip the bottom one over, nest them together, and actually have a little shelf for all my dry fire stuff uh, with the, you know, mags and timer and everything. But if I didn't, like if I needed a place just to store my belt and everything, like I would probably just put it in the mag box and then, you know, just pile all the stuff in there. And then you can slide that into, you know, wherever you need to store it and problem solved. So I don't, have the need for that particularly, but if you're constrained on space, I definitely would recommend doing that. And I definitely recommend having a box to drop your magazines into and always actually dropping a mag in, in dry fire. I, I found that to be very helpful and really not that, not that detrimental. I mean, I'll, I'll move the box around just based on whatever drill I'm doing so that I might start a drill at one spot and draw while stepping to the box 
and then shoot some targets and then drop the mag in the box and reload as I'm leaving to go to some other position. But I'm always, you know, wherever in the drill that I need to do the reload, I'm standing at the box, which actually basically makes it, you know, a marker for a shooting position. I'll also, you know, like I said earlier, I'll use the the PVC target stands with a USPSA target clip to it, either hole in the target as a port to shoot through or as a vision barrier to shoot around. I think that's a, a really useful thing to practice in dry fire, just because a lot of times in matches, you don't necessarily have a fault line or something that you're stepping over as your, as your marker of where to shoot. You have targets that aren't necessarily aligned, you know, 90 degrees to the wall. And so you need to practice moving until you can see the target, regardless of, you know, whatever's on the ground and not just lining yourself up 90 degrees to the wall or what have you. And, and actually learning to hit that that kind of landmark and set up wide enough or go for, far enough past the vision barrier so that you can see the whole array, not just the first target in the array, that kind of thing. I will use some PVC to make, like, I, so I have a shooting box and I'll use that for classifier type stuff and turn in draws and that kind of thing. But uh, for the most part, I actually don't really use that in drills a lot. Uh, I might lay down one piece of PVC and just as something to step over. But for the most part, I, I like using vision barriers to define where I have to move to just because it's more similar to what you see in matches. But I'll definitely do stuff where, you know, start toes on a piece of PVC, step into the shooting area, you know, have a PVC, piece of PVC for that kind of thing. But what's interesting about having the room be 15 feet long and 10 feet wide is basically it, you can think of it as it's basically like three steps so the 10 feet is basically three steps. So if I start all the way on one side of the 10 feet room and, and, you know, I engage some targets or something and then I move to the other side, it's about three steps away. So it's not really enough space to do any significant movement. It's it's more of a, a short, choppy, kind of quick reload type movement instead of a bring the gun down, take the hand off the gun and, and really, you know, move kind of movement. And so a lot of times, one of the things that's nice about having most or all of my targets on these mobile target stands is I just basically, so I'll, you know, I'll be dry firing in the long direction. So using the 15 feet to get, you know, scaled distance. And then when I need to do a movement trail, I'll basically rotate everything 90 degrees. So I'm, you know, seven or eight feet from the targets, but I have 15 feet left and right to move. And, you know, that's just the the best way that I've found to, to use the space. And 15 feet is, is a good amount. You know, you can actually get two or three good steps accelerating a couple steps decelerating and then have moved hard enough that it's not easy to come into position with your with your gun up and ready to shoot especially if you're using partials yes the targets might only be seven or eight linear feet away from you but easily you can you know use scaled mini poppers use no shoots use i really do like using hardcover for this because it's it it sucks me in and it want it makes me want to break the shot early when i'm unstable but I really have to make sure I'm calling that shot and being very sensitive to like, uh, yeah, I actually didn't really know where my front sight was there. So I'm just going to assume that first shot was a miss, you know, learning to not necessarily wait too long, you know, be aggressive coming into position on a, on a hardcover target, but really make sure I'm calling the shot so that I can know whether it's, whether it's good or not, whether I was on the trigger too early, that kind of thing. And then as for what my actual practice looks like, I'll say I set up these days, especially the, I set up a lot of stages and sort of scenario type drills where I'll have an array with 
a hardcover partial, a no-shoot partial, and a mini popper, and then I'll have another array with maybe two wide open targets and then three mini poppers and, you know, do something like draw to one array, step over a line while doing a reload and then engage the other array and that kind of thing. And so it's not, it's a lot of sort of variable setup, not repeatable kind of drills, but I'll just use the timer to set a baseline and run the drill with the goal of consistently being able to execute it in, in either an aggressive time that I set at the beginning and just trying to work on consistency and getting as many points as possible. Or if, you know, if it's a little lower risk type array, then I'll start pushing the time and, and really try and, and, you know, set a baseline time and then crank it down a 10th and, and keep working down by 10ths, but not necessarily on a, on a known drill where I'm working on the same time, the same drill over time. Now that's what I do now. If I were you know, if I go back a couple of years when I was really working on improving my classification, yes, I was spending a lot more time with sort of an El Prez array and doing standard drills, Blake drills, Bill drills, El Prez, six reload six. There definitely was a lot of that. And, you know, that's definitely valuable. But these days, just the way my, my practice has adapted and, and really with a focus on stage performance and, and especially consistency, you know, not just being able to because I I've had this this problem over time where I can I can do a good first run of a drill in practice, but then when I once I have that good run under my belt, I I tend to sort of just automatically speed up and go crazy and try and you know set a high score or something. I've gotten a lot better about that in the last probably year. Like it's probably been about a year since I really struggled with that, but a lot of my practice has been has been structured around addressing that shortcoming and and really working on. If you can do it once, that's fine, but you're scored on, you know, the average of five runs. And so if any one of the runs sinks the average, you're screwed. And so working on that kind of consistency. But uh, I'm running long. This is uh, just kind of a brain dump on on whatever my dry fire practice is like. Hopefully this has been helpful, giving you some, some ideas on some things to incorporate in your own dry fire. If, you know, some of this is helpful or interesting or you have any questions you can feel free to email me at one of these days. I've had it on my list for a long time to to just get up a little article on the blog about these dry fire target stands. I mean, it's just, it's just PVC 18 inches wide or whatever it is to, to be the width of a USPSA target, you know, nothing too fancy, but, but they work. And I, you know, you can make one, I think I've got the schematic so you can make one out of two 10 foot pieces of PVC, something like that. So uh, one of these days I'll, I'll get around to that, but, uh, that day is not today. And, uh, yeah, that wraps up this episode of short course. You can follow me on Facebook at Ben Barry shooting and Instagram at BS Barry. I post video of all my matches at youtube.com slash Ben Barry USPSA. You can email me at podcast at Talk to you next time.